are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For today's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Matt Witten. Matt is a multi-talented writer, being a crime novelist, TV writer, movie writer, playwright, and magazine writer. The interview is primarily about Matt's crime novel killer story and his thriller, The Necklace, the latter of which have been optioned for film by none other than the great Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm here with Matt Witten, who is a crime novelist, TV writer, movie writer, and playwright, if I understand correctly. You got it. Magazine writer, too. (laughs) Magazine writer. Welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, sure. I'm Matt Witten. I just wrote a uh, mystery novel, a mystery thriller called Killer Story that came out last month. And I've been writing for the past uh, 35 years. I started out as a playwright, uh, then shifted into novel writing and wrote uh, four mystery novels that were published by Signet. Then I kind of... Um, in a surprise, I got a call to come out to Hollywood, and I wrote TV for about 20 years, still writing TV. In fact, right now I'm writing a, a Hallmark mystery movie. And then about uh, four or five years ago, I got the novel writing bug again, so I wrote a mystery thriller called The Necklace that came out last year, and now a killer story. So that's my story. Now, uh, without spoiling too much about your crime novel killer story, what is that book about? Well, it's about a an idealistic journalist who launches a true crime podcast in order to investigate the murder of an alt-right YouTuber who she loved like a little sister despite their political differences. And this main character, Petra, is someone who has been laid off through no fault of her own from three journalists journalism jobs in a row and she's about to get laid off from her fourth journalism job and uh, it's just it's a very common story unfortunately in the journalism business these days and uh, because of all that she's kind of desperate to keep her career going and save her career and when she gets this idea for a podcast she just jumps on it so the novel is about you know it's not only is it about the uh, the mystery it's also about you know how it feels to be in this situation and and what will you do to rescue your career in a, in a situation where this is happening? Um, she's in a field where getting clicks can be as important as getting the truth. And that can really do a number on uh, journalists and on their idealism and on their ethics. So she has to wade through some serious minefields in order to uh, solve the murder and keep her sense of who she is. Now, the uh, journalist in uh, Killer Story has vastly different views than uh, the alt-right movement, from what I understand. Yes, she's very uh, opposed to them, and she knew this. The the victim uh, was killed. She was a Harvard freshman when she was killed. And our hero, Petra, knew the victim, Olivia, back when Olivia was a 14-year-old girl uh, going to journalism boot camp and full of uh, idealism and wanted to join the mainstream media and wanted to, um, you know, be a a journalist. And somewhere in between age 14, when Petra knew her and befriended her and was like a big sister to her, somewhere between age 14 and age 18 when she was killed, Olivia becomes seduced into, recruited into the alt-right, 
uh, to the point where she's like Tommy Loren or like uh, Ann Coulter. Um, in my mind, and this is my own personal opinion, she's somewhat like the people that get recruited into ISIS. And so she, so the, the novel becomes, not only is it a murder mystery, it's also an exploration of how Olivia changed. Because if we can understand how Olivia got seduced into this um, movement, then we can understand how she was murdered. Now, as Keller's story social theme is about the state of journalism in uh, these times, what are your real-life thoughts about the state of journalism in the United States today? I have several friends who are in their 20s who are going into journalism, and I have tremendous respect and admiration for them because it's like they're going into a dying field. It's almost as crazy as I was when I was in my 20s going into playwriting. And, um, and yet they're doing it. They have this passion, this idealism. They want to tell the stories that are important for people to hear. You know, we have to know what's going on in our local school boards, and our local library boards if, um, if somebody's trying to censor our books. You know, we t need to know these things. And, and yet it's harder and harder to make a living. Um, two newspapers go bankrupt every week in the United States. Crazy statistic. I couldn't believe it when I first read it. Two go bankrupt every single week. Uh, we've lost one-fourth of our daily newspapers, and by the year 2025, it's estimated that we have, will have lost a third. Uh, 28,000 journalists lose their job every year. So they're in a terrible, terrible position, and they're also in a place where, in order to save your job and, and keep your job, you really need to show your value, you really need to get clicks. Because if a newspaper editor you know, he's got one writer who's writing about the Kardashians or whatever, and they're getting a million clicks. And he's got another newspaper writer who's writing about the local school board meeting, and they're getting 200 clicks. You know, chances are, if he's going to lay somebody off, he's going to lay off the person who got the 200 clicks. And also, he's going to quit the newspaper editor. They're going to quit, um, you know, publishing stories about the local uh, school board. It's not worth the trouble for them. So, you know, it's obviously always been this way that that... Um, that newspapers and TV stations, whatever, have wanted the most possible consumers. That's just how you make money. But it's never been so obvious for editors. And so that has really kick-started their, their efficiency drive to you know, get rid of any kind of uh, people that are not contributing to the bottom line. And what that does for writers is, and journalists is that you're, first of all, I'm sure you've seen this, you, you, you're going to put uh, and the newspaper will put, uh, or the website will put, um, headline for your article that might not reflect what the article actually says. It'll make it a lot more exciting. And second, you're just going to go for the most sensationalist, you know, kind of story you can possibly find. And again, that's always been true of journalism. It's always been if it bleeds, it leads. But this is just put it into maxi overdrive. So the stories, you know, that we're reading are really, you know, very much um, oriented toward getting toward getting readers and viewers. For instance, uh, a few years ago there was the documentary Making a Murderer on Netflix, and it was a murder mystery story about a, about a case where somebody had been convicted of this murder, and the, the 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 documentary tried to make it look like the guy was innocent. So they piled on to make it look like the guy was innocent. And when I watched this show, I was you know I was convinced he was innocent. And then afterwards. You read 
after the show, the documentary is over, you read what other people are saying about the real life case and you read everybody involved in the real life case and you realize that the people that made this documentary like omitted a lot of truthful facts and they futzed with the truth to the point where like now, it, you know, if they had put in everything, all their viewers would have said, well, it's obvious this guy committed the murder. Why are we even bothering to watch this documentary? So they left out this stuff in order to make it, you know, I, I assume, in order to make it an exciting uh, story. So, you know, journalists are idealistic people. That's why they get into it. And that's my opinion of the state of journalism and journalists today is that, um, man, it's really hard to keep your ethics when the economic climate is the way that it is. Now, without spoiling too much of each of your other crime novels, what are the names of those and what are they about? Well, my one that came out last year is called The Necklace. It's uh, optioned for film by Leonardo DiCaprio's company. And The Necklace is about a middle-aged diner waitress in upstate New York who travels to North Dakota to witness the execution of the man who was convicted of killing her young daughter 20 years ago. But this woman, on her way to North Dakota, she finds out something, some things that make her think, holy tomato juice, this guy who's about to be killed on Saturday at 5.30 might actually be innocent, and the real killer might still be out there. So she's got to find out the truth before Saturday at 5.30. Ooh, <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I had a lot of fun writing it. Actually, based on a on a true story, by the way, it was a story. Speaking of newspapers, there's a little newspaper in um, in upstate New York called the Glens Falls Post Star. Little tiny newspaper, but it actually won a Pulitzer one year. And back in 2012, I read an article about this uh, real life case, and it kind of you know stuck to my mind. And um, I thought about it for seven years. I had it up on the bulletin board next to my um, desk in, in my study. And after seven years, I started writing the book. Um, so, yeah, it was fun to write. Now, Killer Story was published by Ocean View Publishing. Is Ocean View a vanity press, an imprint of a traditional publisher, or a hybrid press? Um, neither one, I guess. Oh, it's a traditional publisher. It's a, um, I forget if that was one of your choices. It's a traditional publisher. It's a mid-sized publisher. Uh, based in Florida, and their uh, specialty is uh, crime novels. So they publish, um, I forget how many, but they publish a fair number of crime novels, including some uh, award winners like uh, Matt Coyle and David Putnam and uh, a lot of other writers who I really enjoy their work. Um, so that's the publisher. I'm actually thrilled to be um, in their company. Um, and they do a good job. They do a really good job on, on the covers. They um, they, they allow the writers to have a real say in the covers, real happy with my covers, which was actually not true when I was published by uh, Signet back in, uh, back in the day. Um, and they, you know, they do a good job of publicity and, and everything. They've been very pleasant to work with. So anyway, yes, it's a traditional publisher that's mid-sized. Now, uh, I'm going to go back to the necklace for a little bit, and uh, you mentioned there was option for a film by none other than Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a legend in the movie industry. Now, if the necklace is produced as a movie, would you watch the movie that's based on your book? 
Uh, yes, and I should also say that uh, the way that it came about that was, uh, that was optioned is that I wrote a, a draft of the novel, The Necklace, and then after I did that, I wrote a draft of the screenplay, The Necklace, and the draft of the screenplay for The Necklace really taught me some things that helped me write a second draft of the novel. Uh, they taught me, the screenplay taught me more about how the characters actually talk. Because when you're, when you're writing dialogue for a screenplay or, or a stage play, you just take it seriously, every single word, because you just imagine the actor up with it. And I'm rigorous when I write dialogue on a, for a novel, but even more so with a screenplay. It just, just happens. So anyway, I learned more about how the characters talk, so I rewrote the novel. And rewriting the novel also gave me a deeper insight into the characters. Because when you write a novel, you're writing the, the interior monologue and the history of the character and what they did when they were three years old and all this stuff that doesn't necessarily make it into the screenplay. But you do understand the characters more deeply. And so I took that knowledge from writing the second draft of the novel and, and put it in the second draft of the screenplay. And then when I sold the novel, when my um, book agent sold the novel, at the same time my TV and movie agent uh, sold the screenplay. So it happened simultaneously. And uh, DiCaprio's company and also uh, Cartel Pictures that they were uh, working with, uh, they gave me notes on the screenplay and I you know, rewrote it. So yes, I will watch the movie, uh, partly because, uh, I mean, I would watch it anyway, but, but also largely because it'll be you know, my work. Um, so your question is a good one, because I know there are novelists who who did not have a hand in the screenplay, and they start to get the, they start to watch the uh, movie or, or TV episode that, that is based on their novel, and they just get stressed out. And I have heard of cases where where novelists can't you know can't watch the show, and um, yeah, fortunately I won't be in that situation. Uh, if if uh, if the movie gets made, I will not be in that situation. I'm I'm, I'm thrilled to say. Yeah, which uh, uh, if uh, if. Uh if it were me uh, uh, being in the position of having a movie being made based on my novel, I would uh, feel I would it would feel awkward for me to actually watch the movie. Yeah, I'm sure that it would, but uh, I think probably we would anyway. If we were in that situation, I think you you or I, I think we'd probably say, ah, the heck with it, gotta watch it. You know, you might have to like be a little anxious through it and hold your nose a little bit maybe or whatever but but I think I mean how could you resist it plus everybody's going to be talking about it you'll feel stupid if they don't know if you don't know what they're talking about <laughs> now if you have a typical writing routine what is that like for you well this morning I got up at uh, it's about uh, 10 o'clock my time now this morning I got up about uh, 6 o'clock and uh, I hit the desk at about uh, 7 and I finished up uh, my, um, the, uh, so I spent three hours writing and, and um, finished up uh, uh, a few scenes I was writing for, for, for the movie that I'm writing. And uh, now I'm talking with you, then I'm going to go play pickleball, then I'm going to go have lunch. And then uh, after that, I'll get back into writing. Um, so I'll probably write from around um, two to six, something like that. So that's kind of a normal day for me. I, I write... Uh, you know, maybe for uh, three, four hours in the morning, and then maybe, usually it's more like two or three hours in the afternoon, and in between I, you know, do other kinds of things for, uh, for, for something nice. Usually, today's a little different, uh, partly because we're talking, so it, my schedule's a little different, 
But usually in the morning I go out to a coffee shop and write at a coffee shop. And I might bicycle there just for the exercise. Um, it's about eight miles away. And um, so I'll write there. And then in the afternoon I tend to write at home. But I, I, I tend to like to get out of the house in the morning usually because I need a little bit of uh, social activity and a little bit of exercise uh, with my morning too. Um, and I just started something recently, which is uh, uh, every time I finish a scene in my, in my screenplay, I'll put on a uh, song, a Jefferson Airplane song or a Mexican flamenco song, and I'll just kind of dance around the office for three minutes just as a way to like uh, recharge after writing a scene. And I'm, I'm finding I kind of like it because I've always like played Scrabble, you know, online Scrabble or Boggle in between scenes for a break. I kind of like the idea of kind of like moving around a little bit. So anyway, that's my basic uh, routine. Now, in addition to your novels, you've written uh, for uh, one movie, nine produced stage plays, and multiple television series, including some well-known ones like Law and Order, House, Pretty Little Liars, and CSI Miami. Is that correct? Yep. Now, what is the biggest adjustment you've had to make from uh, writing... Uh, scripts for movies, plays, TV shows, to writing books? Well, the biggest adjustment is that uh, with a book, you write a lot more interior monologue. And with the type of book I write and, and that most fiction writers write now, you really want to be inside the character's head and with them every moment of the way. So when you're writing a movie, it tends to be more, you just give the straight-up dialogue, and also with a play, you give the straight-up dialogue, and, you know, you don't give much else. You don't write, you know, her heart pounded, or you don't write, uh, he clenched his fists under the table. You know, maybe occasionally you would, you write fist clenching in a, in, a, in a parenthesis in a screenplay, but just not nearly as much. So when I wrote the first draft of, of, of The Necklace, and I brought it into my writing group, which is also an important part of my process. They said we're just we we're not in the character's head. We don't know what she's thinking. Well, you know what's her story? What's going on? And um, I should say that I I did write four novels back before I started writing for TV, but that was 20 years ago. So I guess I must have forgotten how to do it during 20 years of writing TV. Um, but in any case, so so that was the biggest adjustment. So then you know the next draft. I just wrote so much stuff for the internal monologue of what was going on with the character and, and, and what their body was doing when they were talking and just more description and just more everything, all the stuff you don't find in screenplays. And my writer's group told me I had too much. So I'd gone from too little to too much. And then the third draft was um, you know, more or less just right. Um, so that was the hardest thing for me. And I last year I went to, on Zoom, a panel of uh, TV writers and screenwriters that had become novelists had written a novel and it was funny because every single one of them had had the same experience I had first draft not enough second draft too many and third draft they got it right it was just it was hilarious actually everybody had gone through the same experience so that was the most difficult thing I would say well Matt you were a wonderful guest for this podcast and I thank you for appearing on the Heartland Author Podcast well, thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you and uh, sharing these uh, stories and experiences with you. And, and good luck with the uh, storm today. I hope it doesn't hit you too hard. 
It's always wonderful to interview people who are very talented in multiple different disciplines of writing, and I wish Matt well with this future movie based on the necklace. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write your imagination. Bye for now. You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparenapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at author AAC and on Instagram at AAC Scribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, all rights reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.